Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com. Pitch. Brown ball hit hard to third. Backhanded by Donaldson. Fires to first. Ball game over. And the Yankees roll to a 14-1 win leaving the Red Sox one and five on this important trip. And right now, out of the wild card picture, one game behind the third wild card club, Toronto, at least for now. Oh, how I miss you, July. Early July, late June, Red Sox, where did you go? It's KJ and Dondero. Good Sunday morning to you, Mark. Good morning, brother. And the Red Sox are falling apart like some badly made stuff that you'd find on Alibaba. It's just bad. KJ, good morning, bro. Um, listen, that was a little strong. I, I don't want to. I don't want to go that far. I mean, what? The, what Alibaba or them falling apart? Well, falling apart. I mean, they're still <laughs> there. They're still right there for a wild card spot. Um, you know, I think so, if they so win, look, if they, if they win, <laughs> yeah, they're going to fall off. If they win tonight or today, yeah. they are going to win the series against the Yankees. Okay, and it yeah. won't, that won't be a disaster. You go into the All Star break and you try to, uh, you know, catch a little fire after the break. I mean, that was bad. I mean, after the win, but see now after they lost fourteen to one last night, I'm going back and I'm like, well, you know what? They probably really shouldn't have won that game the other night, and they got lucky. And now, yeah. you know, who knows? But that that was a bad way to follow up the big win on Friday night. I'll say that. I'll admit that. And you know, obviously not an ideal situation considering the jam packed wild card standings. So look, so since the Yankee series last week, then the Tampa series midweek, and now this series, the Red Sox have won three games. And I wonder if today, again, I don't know how important today is, but I do wonder if today, how the Red Sox finish, if they get blown away again today, does that slowly move them into the sell category at the trade deadline? This is... It's just something you really have to think about because if you have a general manager who's not really gung-ho of making big splashes, why would you now make a big splash if you're potentially two games from the last wild-card spot? You may be tempted to sell now and build the future and say, you know, hey, look, maybe these guys of young guys can give a run at it, but look at the future. It looks good. I'm just thinking, I think today's game, if they drop today's game, some people are going to be on the block to go. Yeah, I, I mean, look, you think about a deal if you get a good offer, um, but you know, any good offer is going to be some sh- shiny, sparkling prospect. He's he's number three in our entire organization. Look, I'm just uncomfortable selling completely when you're one or two games back from a wild card spot. 
from the last wild card spot, I think it's a different story when you were leading the wild card race. Because now, like, what's what's really the difference between being out of the wild card by one game or two games with you know rookie you know four A players than trying to stock up with hurdy players and build up those arm strength and so forth, which we've been talking about when you may not even make it. It just feels like if they lose to the Yankees today, the Red Sox will now probably field some offers to move some players, which I thought was a totally different narrative. No, I'm not three going weeks there. Ago. I don't think this is a must-win game or else you're in complete sell mode. I, I mean, they're right there for not a while. Not complete, but you start taking calls to sell. Yeah, I'm you can take calls. You can take calls, but I, I don't think that should be high in Bloom's um, – M.O.? No, but his mentality <laughs> should not be to sell right now. You're within the wild card. Like You've got to go for the wild card if you're within the wild card. If they but were... you're dropping out of the wild card. Like Clearly, the division is out of the picture, and nobody's claiming that you're trying to make a race for that. Well, you but still you have def- time. You still have time to decide whether or not you're completely dropped out of the division. Look, if they drop out of the wild card race, then you do have to be in sell. Because here's the thing. There is no doubt in my mind, Xander Bogarts and Rafi Devers are gone. They are gone. They are not going to be back here. I can't imagine they're going to be back here, especially. Well, a- well we've said that. We, yeah. We've said that before. We'll, we'll play the Bustler only cut here in a couple minutes. Ethan, thank you so much for being here. But I said, look, if they're $100 million apart in negotiations that Jeff Passett was saying about two months ago, I said, well, there's only one ocean that would make up that big gaping difference, and that would be the Yankees. And oh, by the way, no one's wearing 11 this year for the Yankees. So, I, I mean, I can see Devers in New York. Here's Buster only saying that he doesn't see uh, uh, Bogey coming back. I mean, uh, Devers coming back. It doesn't feel like that the Red Sox necessarily are prepared to step out. It's almost like you can draw a line in the sand before Chris Sale's contract and after Chris Sale's contract, yep. where you know before Chris Sale's contract, they were building a huge payroll. Uh, they spent aggressively on him. They spent aggressively on other players. And maybe there was a realization, because I know people in the industry were shocked they gave him the deal they gave him at the time because of the arm issues that he had had prior to that. Maybe that changed the perspective of ownership of how they should handle these situations. I think the Devers contract, you look at the type of player that he is, the age that he is, I, I think you're looking at a $300 million contract, and we have no indication that the Red Sox are going to be willing to, to go that far given how they handled Mookie Betts, given how they handled uh, you know Xander in this negotiation. Uh, it's going to be for $400 million. Yeah, and, just, and just Because the, he's 24. And the Juan Soto... Uh, yes. th- yesterday, that was, I mean, that told me everything I needed to know. <laughs> yep. they, there's no way they're coming back, and there's no way High and Bloom is going. I don't even think, I don't, they'll probably give them an offer just to say that they did. They're, I don't even think they're going to be close enough where a real discussion happens. I, yep. I think it's going to be, like, it's not like, oh, they tried, they talked, it just didn't work out. Nope. There won't even be a discussion. Those guys are gone. Get used to it. This is Tampa now. Okay. Now, <laughs> they made the World Series in Tampa. You find ways to get good players up through the system, and those things happen. Yeah, I don't know if Hyam Bloom is going to have the time to do that. I don't know how patient um, ownership will be, and I'm not talking about LeBron James. I'm talking about you know, oh, I, I just don't know how that's going to play out. Because- it won't play out well because this is a historic franchise. The Tampa Rays are only on the map because Steinbrenner wanted to watch a team play the Yankees. Where he retired. That's how the Rays got. All, that's how the Rays are in Major League Baseball. Not because hey, there was this demand in Tampa. The trop was actually built. Do you remember this, Mark? They actually built the trop back in the late '80s 
to lure the San Francisco Giants who were talking about leaving. I don't so, remember that. No. Yes, so that's the reason why the tr- so they haven't even made an effort since the trop building to build around a team. Like you have a team that easily competes every year and nobody shows up. That's embarrassing. So so you're going to tell me that the, because the Red Sox, they could be on the way of building a team that can't beat anybody and everybody still shows up because it's the Red Sox. And who wins on that? Management. If, if you're still, you're still going to, people are still going to go to Red Sox games no matter how bad the team is. No matter how bad the team is. Yeah, they'll go to Red Sox games because it's an event here. Yeah. Uh, Tampa's just happy to have a team so they don't get the pressure, they don't get the heat. Yeah. But they will get the heat here. And if ownership, which it appears is, you know, supporting High and Bloom, um, I support High and Bloom to the point where I don't want to go full on race, not full on race. You know, I, that's why the Trevor Story deal gives oh, so me. so we're doing partial nudity here. Either you have your clothes on or you don't. It, either you go to try and win it all or you say, look, we're going to be a penny-pinching team and we'll compete and you'll enjoy your snacks and we'll, we'll build a theater well, and places for you to hang out around nearby, but this team's not really going to compete. Well, I was hoping more of a, of a Theo Epstein approach. You know, I thought Theo Epstein married the two things. But he won. <laughs> but he, You know, that's what I'm saying. I thought he married them well. You know, the combination of the analytics and the guys that you need, the glue guys that you need to keep the team running and the, to fill the different roles and the role players, and the stars. He brought in the stars. That is how this team should be run. That is how, that's the model for the Boston Red Sox. Might not be the model for every team in Major League Baseball, but for the Boston Red Sox, that is the model. You know, a little bit of Belichick, a little bit of Dombrowski, a little bit of, you know, a little bit of everything because you can't afford the big name players and you have to be adept with the analytics and bring in the guys that help you win and, and the stats back up, you know, the Kevin Euclises and those types of players as well. So yeah, you have to What happens both. when the homegrown talent becomes stars? Do you, that's the issue. So you already heard only talking about, like, Devers is not going to come back. Here's more only about Bogarts. I think the chances are much greater than they were uh, four months ago. Hmm. Um, you know, And first off, when a player says he's open to negotiating with a team, that, to me, is like right out of the potential free agent playbook. Everybody says that. Yeah. So you say well, the chances him, are greater for what? what did he, for he, him to leave. Oh, he's definitely he's leave. leaving. He's definitely okay. leaving. So you say bring in stars, but you're going to let the ones you already have leave. So you're not going to be bringing in better stars, probably. You, 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 according to what you're saying, you're not going to pay a whole lot of money to bring in said stars, but said stars that came up through your own system are gone. It's KJ and Dondero, 617-779-7937, text line 37937. I, I look, do, do you buy or sell right now if you're the Sox? But Mark, like, how do you explain, yeah, we let Rafi and Bogey go, but guess what? We're bringing in some new stars that are going to want money. And and they're not even homegrown guys. I just I just don't think like my mentality for this year has been, hey, you better really go for it now because after this year you're going to start to really lose guys. You know, Bogarts, Devers, JD Martinez. We don't know if any of them will be back. How about everybody? You're okay. losing everybody. So fine, Valdi. You're losing everybody. But sales done. I don't think that's how High and Bloom looks at it though. Like I don't think he views it that way. I think what he sees is. A player with production X that he can replace, whether that's in the aggregate or with a few different pieces, a la Moneyball and Billy Bean, and he can, he can sign his Trevor Stories. You know, a guy, uh, Xander yeah, Bogart's light. Look at the, look, look at the could, Oakland A's now. Well, I get look at it them now. 
Well, you the, want the Red Sox to look like the A's serving RC Colas in the press box? No, I five don't. Five years from now? I don't want that. I don't. I just thought I, my hope was that Hyam Bloom, upon taking the job in Boston, yeah. and I guess we still can't conclude officially, I thought that he would at that point be okay with, all right, now I'm in Boston. Now I can do what I do with the yeah. analytics and building a team that way and building up the farm system. But also, hey, I got a little bit more money now. I can splurge a little bit. It's like if you're marrying like a rich woman into a rich family. Like yeah. I didn't have this money. I, you can still do all the other things that you used to do that made right. you a good man. But hey, now you get a little bit more money. Why don't you? You know, your family, your father-in-law joins this. He's a part of this golf club. A member. Go be a member at the golf club. You get the money. Why not? Like do it. Like that's what I was hoping High and Bloom would do. But still, it doesn't matter. It appears he married into the rich family, but still wants to just live his simple life. So, well, yeah, yeah, that's the thing is you you don't trade out the boat, right? Like we didn't buy the we didn't buy the house on the water to have a dock to have no boat, and so it feels like he's like, well, do we really need a boat when when we can just get paddle boats? And it feels like he's putting paddle boats back there. No one's asking for you to buy a yacht because you've got a very nice sized boat already. Why not? Re- I mean, you know what the market's going to be. So if you're trying to replace Raphael Devers, you're going to have to be somewhere in that ballpark. I, I think the Trevor story was was a little piece of, or a, a window into that. But how has that really turned out? I'll give Trevor story a mini pass because it's the first year. But if you know Bogarts is leaving, you're like, okay, story, it's shortstop is yours. Maybe you'll be the face of this new rebuilt franchise with a lot of young guys around here. But if he doesn't perform, then now you've signed a guy for lesser money who was on a, maybe on a downward trajectory instead of keeping the guys that you grew through the farm system that you're now trying to propagate all over again. It makes no sense. It's like putting popcorn back into the ground, hoping it regrows as corn. And the other thing it needs to stop doing is bringing back the old, the old regime, whatever, like the Jackie Bradleys and Travis, like those types of moves uh, did not happen. They were borderline disastrous in my mind. I mean, I know Bradley Jr. Yeah, made, a ridiculous, a la- he made a ridiculous like a la- catch. Like last a last year. train to Clarksville. Like, hey, look, I know it didn't work out for you, but you can always come back here, and, you know, we can't give you what you've been expecting here, but we'll give you a chance. Like, there's two things that I need to see happen. One of two things. Either... He needs to get some stars in here because they have the payroll, they have the money. This is the Boston Red Sox, which I don't see happening. Or they got stars. I better see uh, an invasion of of talent from the farm <laughs> that come up and that are really ready to go and that are really producing. And you got this young stud filled team led by Bobby Dahlback, right? Yeah, like the, that, but, that, and I, those guys can't be 26, 27 years old like Dahlback was when he came up. Like, one way or another, you've got to get good players up into the system. Like, I'm sick of seeing crap players. Like, I don't want, like, I don't want, look, Jackie Bradley can't hit. I don't want that guy in the lineup anymore. I don't want, like, Christian Arroyo, I don't want Christian Arroyo. No. No, no, no. You know when I was watching the game last night, and Jackie had two amazing catches Amazing. That, last night. The catch in the in the first inning there was ridiculous. But ridiculous. you know what? Jackie Bradley Jr. should be the lone suspect bat in an in a lineup. Like Correct. it used to be Ozzie Smith Correct. back in the day. Correct. But when he's one of three moving towards four, and your two best ones are out of the window, who says two? Of, you're you're not. I don't see two of equal talented players and endeavors and Bogarts coming back to the Red Sox next year. I'm just saying, get ready for a lot of no names running around with no last names on their backs in Fenway Park. Enjoy the drinks and the food. It'll be a great atmosphere time. But the team is going to get walloped, and I believe if they lose today to the Yankees, there is going to be a temptation on cheap bloom 
to start selling. Uh, I, I think J.D. Martinez might be the very first one. Who needs a bat? Who needs a bat? I mean, we could always... I mean, we just make Bobby Dahl back, you know, like the, yeah. the DH. Or or load up with pitching. If you have the best staff in the league, okay. yes. I can deal with a little bit of uh, futility at the bottom of the lineup, especially if you're rolling out Devers, Bogart, Story, Martinez. If you've got a you got a boss starting rotation, yeah. Because I, I, I still, to this to this moment, you, you talk to me, and I know he's been hurt. There's guys that have been hurt. But if you talk about Kike Hernandez, Bogarts, right. Devers, Martinez, Story, Verdugo, like I can go to bat. I, I No pun intended. Like yeah. I can ride with that lineup. Absolutely. Like I, That's a good lineup. And then, you know, at the end, you, you have your Jackie Bradley or whatever. But I can ride with that lineup. But you've got to supplement that with pitching that gets you excited, that can really lock down the opponent, or a bullpen that's dominant. You can't just come with... You know, these up and down and Rich Hill and like that. No, it's not going to work. It's, it's, it hasn't been amateur hour. (laughs) You're right. KJ and Dondero. Next, we'll get into the LeBron comments about Boston fans that he made on his uh, show, The Shop. Uh, But right now, let's trend with Ethan. Thanks for hanging out with KJ and Dondero. Crash and Keith, weekdays 10 to 2. Now, here's what's trending on WEEI. All right, time now for what's trending here at WEEI and WEEI.com. The Red Sox, as we've been kind of talking here, got absolutely hammered last night. Absolutely hammered in not your Friday night type of way. Uh, the <laughs> final score ended up being 14 to 1. Uh, and it just, it, you know, the Sox, funny enough, started out 1 0 lead. And then from there, that was, about as, was about as positive Three as it hits. was all night. Well, they, they, at one point, <laughs> the Yankees retired, like, what was it, 17 in a row or something? Yeah. The game was probably over anyway. Yeah. Uh, it was an ugly one. And they have one more game against the Yankees here this afternoon at 1 p.m. You can catch the pregame show with Brian Barrett right here on the Shaws and Star Market WEI or Red Sox Network. And that'll be at 12 p.m. Round four of the U.S. Open at St. Andrews is today. Rory McIlroy is coming off a monster finish yesterday. I don't know if you guys saw him hit that shot from inside the bunker Insane. to take the lead. Signature <laughs> shot of his, like that's one of his career shots. Yeah, like a yeah anything out of the bunker at St. Andrews is always going to be some type of like career making shot, especially yeah. if he goes on to win. Yeah, awesome, awesome stuff. Um, currently knotted up right now at under uh, sixteen under, excuse me, with Victor Holland. Both will tee off today at nine fifty a.m. So we'll be keeping our eyes on that. All eyes are currently on McIlroy as fans are hoping to see him win the crowned jewel of golf as this is apparently the sport's oldest championship. I'm not a super big golf guy, but I guess this is a sport's it's oldest championship. It's a home of golf, and that's where basically the sport was created at St. Andrews, yeah. so that's okay. why it's a big deal. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not a super big golf guy, if I'm being completely honest with you guys. Uh, and then we finally, <laughs> And then finally, the New England Revolution <laughs> fell to Philadelphia Union in their match last night, 2-1. to one. Revs had a 1-0 lead until the final 15 minutes, allowing two goals, one being what? a header. And yeah, they were winning, and then went down Eat with some the header. Slices. And Come then on. after that, let a go-ahead <laughs> score on a penalty kick in the 79th minute to throw the game away officially. Uh, the Revs play again July 23rd. I am Ethan Hurstadu, and that's what's trending here at WEI and WEI.com. Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, 
They're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com. In basketball, there are fans that you go play away that they can literally take the game from you. You can feel like them. The fans is not going to let us win this one tonight. Yes, I mean, I mean, what places? I mean, Boston. Boston, yeah. Why, why do you, why do you hate Boston? Because they racist as f. That's yeah, why nasty. they will say, nasty. they will say anything, and it's fine. I mean, it's my life. I mean, I've been dealing with it my whole life. I don't mind it. Like I hear it. Like if I hear somebody like close by, I check them real quick. I move on to the game. Whatever they're gonna say, whatever the f they want to say, they might throw something on you. I mean, I got a beer thrown on me leaving the game. You know, like Boston is, I mean, yeah, Boston it's is the only place in the NBA in America you go yeah. and they have like shirts that say like. LeBron. Yeah, like, it was like, it was like a section. It was, it was like, like a like... LBJ t shirt. <laughs> I believe they probably sold it at the team <laughs> shop. KJ and Don Darrow on WEEI. Um, thank you so much for starting your Sunday with us. 617 779 7937. The text line is 37937. That is LeBron James on his show, uh, The Shop, where him and players uh, from various sports, but primarily the NBA, are discussing issues of the day. And you've heard the comments. The comments have gone spread like wildfire that Boston is racist AF quote from LeBron. You know, Mark, I'll say this. I find it interesting because a lot of the conversation is that LeBron is a minority owner inside of the Fenway group. And part of clarify real quick first that you're a black man and I'm white. Okay. Yeah. For those who don't know. Yes. Okay, yeah, I have been my whole life. There's, yeah, I mean, I don't know what the definition other than that is, but here we go. So part of that ownership group includes the Liverpool soccer team over in the British uh, Premier League. And FIFA spends millions and millions of dollars on the end racism campaign where at games you will have monkeys hung in effigy, a banana thrown at players, um blackface in the crowd and FIFA is actively making a a, 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 a a pathway to end racist behavior at their games across Europe. LeBron's part of the ownership group. He should probably say, you know what? Look, if there are issues like this, because there are no issues like this in the NBA. Nobody is throwing banana peels. Nobody's doing monkey calls that that have been reported. If someone says F LeBron on a t-shirt, that's not racist. Correct. That, that's not racist. It's 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 derogatory, but it's not racist. And so I was telling you, Mark, when we both talked, we we're going to say this on the air. Um, at another station I worked at here in Boston, uh, a, a, a well-known newspaper in town came out with a series, Is Boston Racist? It was a four-part series. And I can't remember the lady's first name, but her last name was Johnson, and I had her on the air. And the specific point... I nailed her down on was the part of the article dealing with the makeup at the sporting events. And the one she got caught up on was the Cavaliers game. This is when LeBron was still with the Cavs and how she mentioned that there was such a low number of black people at the game. And I said to her, well, I went to the Dallas Mavericks game and people were recognized me on a radio station. It was only three months old. That's how many black people were there. And she said, well, what do you mean? I said, well, the cost of a LeBron ticket is much different than the cost of a Dirk Nowitzki in his last year ticket. Economics is at play. 
And so to say that the fans as people are racist, you could not say that. Is the structure off? Potentially. Now, here's where I will say this about LeBron, and I'm not going to defend him at all. What if he had a real big sit-down conversation with Bill Russell? Like, for an hour. What is it like? I own part of the Red Sox and some of the group. What is it like? What? Tell me your experience. What would the answer come back that Bill Russell would have? The experience of what? Being in Boston? playing? Yes. In Bo- not well, playing. Being. Right? Because playing is just your job. The structure is where you live. Okay. So if we were having a conversation about a businessman or a guy who drives the train or a person who works, does landscaping or has a landscaping company, he's part of the structure. He's not part of the entertainment. And one of the issues I do have is when these these stories come out and they're like, well, so-and-so didn't have a problem with so-and-so, you're usually naming players, You're not talking about people who are part of the structure. LeBron is never going to be part of the structure here. He's only part of the games. So he can say what he wants to say because he doesn't have to be part of the structure. So if you're having a conversation about the structure, well, then you would say, hey, well, Boston's not the only place that has a problem with the structure. And in fact, Atlanta is a place where one night it's primarily white and there's a set price. And then the next night, It's black, and the price is much greater, and that's in Atlanta, and that tends to be the mecca of where black people seemingly want to be. So there are structural issues everywhere. Yeah. Well, let me just say this. I lived in Georgia for almost two years. Mm -hmm. I I didn't face it. That's not what it was. But in terms of hearing racist comments, I heard more down there than I ever heard living here. So that's just in terms of hearing people, white people, make racist comments. But it's beyond the comments, right? Because comments are comments, but how you live, right? Just because I put a sign in my yard saying I might support something, it it may not show it because there might not be any black people that live in my entire neighborhood or the three streets surrounding me. So economically, I can say I can buy a sign, put it in my yard and say I'm for something, but structurally you don't see it in my house. You don't see it in my neighborhood. We don't we don't associate Outside of work, which is probably going to be more required than it is voluntarily. So it's much easier to say I support something um, financially, but not actually do it in your real life. It, it kind of tends to show up around prom season. Where I, I'm not you following have, the structure thing. Like, wh- explain that to me a little bit more. Like, the wh- structure is is what if you're going to go with the racism term yeah. you can't put it on fans because you don't know those people individually okay but if you're talking about a structure then yeah it exists in Boston it exists in New York it exists in LA and San Francisco these things are structurally built in that it has nothing to do with the fans now okay. some of the fan base may benefit from that structure because they do not face the same roadblocks that others who have to live in that structure do. Okay, so I'm gonna. I have a different take on LeBron James, and I see what you're saying. Like LeBron's not a part of this community, right? So he he can't know everything that goes on in Boston. Is that what you're saying? Sort of, he, right? So okay. to put it on the fans, yeah, as people, no. But as a person who's lived in the structure, who lives in the structure, I understand what he may be saying about the structure of Boston. Okay. But you just said the structure, there's faults with structure in a lot of cities. 
Right, not but that would but that would really ruin a narrative for a lot of people. Yes, right? it would. because because now we're saying, oh wow, it might really be systemic racism, right? So again, to put it on an individual, you don't know because you don't know the individual. So Go here, here's what I was going to say. Number one, I am not going to tell or say to LeBron James or conclude that he's never experienced racism in Boston. I have no idea. Maybe he has. Maybe he's heard it from the fans. Maybe he's heard racist comments. I don't know one way or another. So I'm not going to say he's wrong or he's lying or anything like that. What I am going to say, though, is LeBron James is LeBron James. He's one of the most famous people on earth. One of the, Probably the most famous athlete on earth. When you speak, when you make a comment, people listen. Your words carry incredible meaning. Okay? You cannot. Now, what was happening in this show? Okay, I don't know if you see all the whole thing. They were interviewing Marcus Rashford, who is a part of Manchester United. He's a black guy on right. Man U. Okay? And he's talking about what you were talking about. That's right. The, the real racism that he faces and the initiatives that are in place over there. Right. That he's trying to deal with it. Okay? I think that LeBron, while trying to sort of appeal to Rashford, who was on the show, okay. just sort of threw out, oh, because that's the narrative that's out like there. Me Boston. Too. But yeah, look at me. I've dealt with it too. Boston's racist too. They're racist as bleep. Yeah. And, and, and what he failed to realize is that, like, okay, again, I'm not going to say what he has or hasn't, but that's an explosive comment that you just made that is now everywhere. And by default, there are going to be people out there, kids, Adult, like people that have never been to Boston, right. who now conclude that Boston is a racist city just because of what you said, you know. And I, and not to get over dramatic about it, but you're LeBron James, and you have a huge, enormous platform. And I think what he said and the way he said it was irresponsible. You have to be better if you're LeBron James. If that's the case, if you've experienced racism, you have to act almost as if you're like a leader. Uh, and because that's obviously something you don't want one of the preeminent cities in the country that you live in to be viewed as racist. You have to be a leader in that scenario, a la comments made by Jalen Brown a while back, where he talked about the systemic racism that he sees and that he's experienced, but right. he did it in a way that was measured and professional. And he talked about how we need to address it and we need to be better and fix it and focus on things. He didn't just off the cuff say that it was a. Uh, you know, Boston's racist is bleep and then laugh about it and then say, look, I, I, I don't mind or whatever he said. Like, no, that's a mess. You're LeBron James. You have to be more measured and calculated. You have to think about what you're going to say when you make a comment that on that topic that, that that's that explosive. People are going to listen. They're going to react. And it's going to mean something to a lot of people. And I think that he was reckless and, and really out – he should have, if he was going to bring that up, he should have done it in a more measured way. That was a reckless thing he did, I thought. You're checking out KJ and Don Darrow on WEEI, 617-779-7937. Let's go to Lewis in the car. He wants to join in the conversation. Lewis, thanks for joining KJ and Don Darrow. Absolutely, guys. Thank you for having me. Um, it, let's just speak openly and honestly. There is, in fact, a dark underbelly when it, in Boston when it comes to prejudice or racism. Do you guys believe that or no? Yes. On an economic sense, yes. Economically, absolutely. Right. It, it, exactly. And But the thing is, it's it's not so much... There was this show I was listening to on your station before this morning show, before there. And it wasn't too much of the host, but it was the callers that were coming in. And before that time, I didn't think that you had people who in that number who thought like that in Boston. 
But as I'm listening to these callers over, you know, over a couple of weeks, over a month, I even stopped listening to the radio station now, until now, Greg full, came full, over. Full, and I started I, let me put you on pause for a second, Lewis. Don't hang up on him. Um, the show that's on before us is part of a network feed. So it's not a Boston derived conversation. No, 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 no. Before no, no, you're misunderstanding me. Like your okay. your WEI show. I don't want to say the name of the show and those guys oh, okay. who were on there. But okay. right before uh, Greg came on and Danielle, you had a couple of guys on there. Okay. And it wasn't so much them. They would hint around a certain area, but the callers would call in. It shocked me that, that, that that's the way how Boston felt on certain issues. I was surprised by that, I'd be honest. But now I have a new thought. And what we have to do as a people is we just, like, as human beings, we just stop racism, stop the prejudice. I'm not going to be uh, uh, like this underbelly. And, and it's dark and it's an underbelly. It's not right in the open. So what we have to do is thinking men, the civilized men, is close the door on it. We don't want to hear none of that garbage. We don't want to hear anything like that. Let's go out here and have a good time. Thanks a lot, guys. Bye. Thanks, Lewis. So, Mark, can I give you a bit of perspective? Yeah. Because I, I mentioned I worked at another station before I came here. It had nothing to do with sports. It was just a music station. Okay. And so there was a different perspective that I had because it wasn't involving sports. And how can I best put this? Um... I've never had an issue, but I remember one day I was at a Dunkin' Donuts, a Dunks, in Waltham. And I happened to have, I was coming back from a station event, and I happened to have the shirt on, not realizing it. And a white woman steps to me, and she says, thank you for what you guys do. It's so appreciated here. In other words, she was saying, you now offer something to a great cultural place that we all kind of know is missing at the time, right? And so for people like LeBron or anybody who hasn't grown up in Boston— I think the way Boston can always recapture it is show the importance of blacks in history here in this town, whether it's Martin Luther King doing his very first sermon in Roxbury or for God's sakes, as much as we celebrate people dying for this country, the first man to die for this country was a black man. Now, some people will sit there and say, well, four others died. But yes, even forensics showed that Christmas died first. So. There are stories and narratives that can eliminate that that have nothing to do with sports but have everything to do with the narrative about Boston from people who have never been. Because the first question I get asked about Boston is, what is it like? I know what they're really asking. Yeah. No, I, get I know it. what they're asking. Well, but see, to, I guess along those lines, yeah. does anybody ever talk about – because all of this, the racist stuff, you hear it about the Red Sox, you hear it about the Celtics. But in terms of the Celtics – does anybody ever talk about or acknowledge the fact that the Celtics were the maybe the most progressive team in the NBA? Right. First black head coach, first black starting five. Right. You know, like all those things. Like I remember Isaiah Thomas, the OG Isaiah Thomas, yes. was talking about when he was a kid in the 60s, the Celtics, a lot of the black people around the country rooted for them. For the Celtics. Sam Jones, the, the, Sam Jones Casey is like a Jones, hero. Sam Jones, yeah. Bill Russell, yeah. like all those Sam guys. Sam Jones is the initial, he's Michael Jordan before Michael Jordan. Sam Jones is the origins or the genesis of the great North Carolina basketball player. Cedric Maxwell would come through there, Dominique Wilkins, uh, James Worthy. There's all these different players. But it starts with Sam Jones, and all of them grew up watching and becoming Celtics fans. So to your point, it, you know, people, they advance the narrative that they want to advance. Yes. Because they're, you know, and that's what I'm saying. Like that, The negativity, especially if it's not necessary. Again, I don't know what LeBron James has experienced. But that comment, the way he said it, felt like it could have been handled better. And yeah. I would like to see, honestly, because I think it would help, the athletes, the black athletes that play here, I would like to see in response to LeBron James' comment, 
I would like to see them come out and speak about this and, and comment themselves on their experiences here, good or bad. You know, so why does it have to be a black athlete here in Boston? Why could it not be a conversation with black Bostonians who are part of the structure, right? Because a player can play here for what forty one. It could be here for really forty one games and be gone the rest of the time. You know, players probably don't really live here in the off season. Look, let's go to Stephen Fall River. He wants to get in on these LeBron comments. Thanks for calling KJ and Dondero. You on WEI? Okay, so thank, well, thanks, Steve, for the attempt. Steve's gone. But, Listen, but again, I, but I, I, just to answer your question, yeah. because a, a, like a normal citizen doesn't have the platform that Jason Tatum or Jalen Brown have. So but if they the comments, live the everyday experience, right? If we're going to say, well, hey, we, how can you comment on here when you're not here? Well, why not have someone of that stature or have players sit down with members of the community and have that conversation? Now, I think they attempted to do that, if you remember, after the Adam Jones situation where they had Cedric Maxwell and a couple other guys, and they all sat at Fenway. And this goes back to what you remember talking about with the Red Sox and the Fenway, uh, Red Sox and the Celtics. You know, there are some people that still hang on to, well, you know, the Red Sox were the very last team in baseball to integrate um, with Pumpsy Green in, like, 59. So yeah. some people still hang on to that. And but then at the same time, you know what's going on is the Celtics are b- becoming the most progressive, the most progressive sport and team in a sport that will end up becoming you know leapfrogging baseball. I, at, yeah, at I point. just don't get it. Like LeBron, I mean uh, Bill Russell obviously faced a lot of racism when he was here, you know, right. in Waltham and whatever. But and I don't mean a pigeonhole Waltham. I was just like no, was it like, wasn't a Waltham. He lived further north. Just he, being here, he Redding. experienced. He lived in Redding, but yeah. what about like? And I know it was earlier, but Jackie Robinson, and it was a different situation. But he faced racism in Brooklyn. You right. know, there were things that happened there, really horrible things. So, but you never hear New York forever pegged as a racist city. I mean, go listen to go listen to Ken Griffey Jr. talk about his dad's experience playing in New York so, and why he hated the Yankees. But it's you know, no one talks about New York being a racist city, and I'm not trying to just throw blame everywhere. I just think for whatever reason, I think what you're I think what you're doing is the correct thing. Is hey, look, it's a bigger overarching structural thing. It isn't up to right. individuals, right? Like again, like I said, you can buy a lawn sign saying, "Hey, I'm for this particular social matter," but at the same time, there's nobody who lives by you who you can really do life with. Now, again, I've always told people some of the nicest people I've met. Right here in Boston. So it isn't a person-to-person situation. It's a structural thing. And that's probably, and he couldn't speak on that. You would have to have a big-time player talking to some people who live in the structure to get a better comprehensive view of what Boston really is. And I think part of it is um, because of what happened. Now, this is a history lesson. Because the abolitionists were having meetings here, including Josiah Henson, who people call Uncle Tom, but it was for a good reason. Other people took that narrative and twisted it around, and Boston gets included in, in it as well. So Boston has been this progressive place for blacks going back 200 years. But for other places in the country, they don't want to hear that. And I, where do more, black pe- more to more black people reside? In southern areas of the country. So you're going to get this narrative that it's a, a horrible place, it's racist, it's all this. Uncle Tom is a bad guy, and you've never been to the place to, to, to discover these I'll things. I'll never forget being in Georgia and pulling up at a light behind a guy, and he had on his in his truck, he had a, light, a bumper sticker that said, it was it had a big Confederate flag, and it said, North 1, South 0, halftime. Like, this, like, I've never seen that here. And I know there are more black people in Georgia, in Atlanta, 
but that doesn't mean there's less racist people down there. Well, so, it's a power struggle. It, it, there's power. If you know who is in power, then you can get away with doing those things overtly, right? So if you know that you've always had some type of systematic power structure that is just going to have you as an oppressed in terms of your laws and how you govern and how you police, you know, you're going to you're going to feel emboldened to do that. Here, you know, that's not the case as much at, if, if if at all. I'm just saying, last thing I'm going to say on this for now, yeah, uh, I just want to say, I, I just want to see, like, what's going to help our situation as a country? I don't think what LeBron James did and how he said what he said is going to help us. I think what would help is if some of the athletes, some of the people with the big platform, the black people that live in Boston that are part of this community with big platforms, talk about their experiences, especially if they're positive ones. And if they're not, if they do have negative experiences, fine, let's talk about that in a productive way yes. that can get us to a point where we can find a solution. That's what this whole thing needs. It needs leaders. And what LeBron's... What LeBron did was not exercising quality leadership for a person that has the platform and the fame that he has. Yeah, I think starting to discuss the systematic portions of it and understanding how systems work and how some benefit just by being who they are in the system and how others are already kind of behind an eight ball uh, is, a, is a good starting point. Not at the individual, but at, at the not at the micro level, but at the macro. Micro would be friends. Uh, uh, micro be fans, macro would be an overalling, overarching system. It's KJ and Don Darrow. We continue next here on WEEI. Thanks for hanging out. If your day sounds like... We need the report ASAP. You deserve Medella. If you've persevered through... You deserve this rich golden lager with a crisp but refreshing taste. Or if you overcame... Two more reps, two more... You deserve this ice-cold reward. Modelo, the markable fighter. Drink responsibly. Beer imported by Crown Port, Chicago, Illinois. Yeah! Let that breathe, Ethan. Ah! KJ and Dondero, the fastest two hours in sports radio in America on WEEI. Thank you for listening across the network. Remember, tell your Alexa device, Hey Alexa, play WEEI 93.7, and you're right here. Uh, Mark, let's take a couple of calls. All right. We've got Kelly from Amherst disagrees with LeBron's comments. Go ahead, Kelly. You're on the air. I, I do disagree with LeBron. I don't think any of the data that he gave about people wearing shirts that, that F LeBron, I'm not sure that really had anything to do with being racist. I think in general, when people are beating this drum, if, if there's no incident, what they're usually talking about is just income inequality. Yeah. And that is, that's a very big deal in Boston, more than a lot of places. Because as you mentioned, there are a lot of people color in Boston, and so, or at least black people, and so that brings up that they just don't really have a good social system the way they do in other places, like Atlanta, for example, where they have tons of power um, compared to here. So I would just say real quick, there was a, story, uh, the, a time where I was arguing with a friend of mine who's black, she was a grad student at UMass, I'm out here in Amherst, and she's from Michigan, she told me, Amherst is racist. And so I wanted to stick up for my town, because I've been here a long time, talked to a lot of people of color, I never heard that, and we're arguing, arguing, it got pretty heated. I'm yelling at her, could you give me some examples? She screams in my face, why do you always need examples? Why do people always want examples? And I'm like trying to keep my cool, you know what I mean? I understand it's sensitive for her. But at the end of the long, long conversation, it came to, well, when I'm here at Amherst, the only black person I see is me in the mirror. She said, there are no other black people here. So at the end of the day, she was saying Amherst is racist because there's a lot of white people. Kelly, so thanks like, for the call. I, I think, I mean, it, listen, well said. Okay. Now, the difference is Kelly's friend 
isn't LeBron James. So she can say those things. They might be misplaced, but she doesn't have the platform of LeBron James. And he's right. If LeBron James is going to make a statement like he did, the next thing out of his mouth should be, and let me tell you why. Here's what happened to me in Boston. And then you, you follow up that comment with a specific example, and hopefully after that you have a conversation about what needs to happen going forward. I wouldn't have expected that in that forum there on the shop. But he didn't even offer an example. He just said what he said. No real example. He was throwing things out there that didn't even really connect. Then he, he played it off like he laughed it off. So I mean, let me let me ask you this. Would you be opposed or would this community be opposed if, okay, LeBron, you made these statements. Why don't you come and sit and talk with residents of greater Boston and get that insight? Because, again, if you believe the guy made a flippant statement, which, which let's just say it, it is at this point, why not talk to the people who are inside of this social construct that you made the statement of to get a better narrative, a, a better a better insight on it? No, he like, should, I would what, love that. He should do I that. Think, I think he should do that. I, I can't I, I would say Especially set it as up. owner of the Boston Red Sox, part owner of the Fenway Group or whatever. Yeah, you know, but, you I mean, if, with happened, if, if Serena Williams said something at 2%, would you make her show up at a Miami's Dolphins thing? All right, let's go to Bob in Arlington. Uh, he thinks LeBron has too much to say. Thanks for calling KJ and Dondero. You're on the air. Uh, uh, hi, good. Uh, thanks for taking my call. Uh, you know, when I'm listening to this, I wonder why we're making such a big deal. I mean, it is a flippant comment. And why are we giving him such a voice anyway? Uh, he's, he's the greatest basketball player, but why, why, why does he deserve to be the spokesman of um, anything outside of basketball or outside of sports? I think we've elevated him to too high a level. Okay, well, thanks for the call, Bob. Look, yeah, thanks, Bob. We didn't need to give him a voice. He has a voice. Okay, so when he says something like that, it means something. That's what I'm saying. Like, he says something like that, it means something. You know, he, he has power. If he talks about a brand, if he tweets that he's uh, drinking Duncan, guess what? A lot of people are going to start drinking Duncan, or that's a good thing for Duncan. Or if he wipes his ass with Charmin, that's good for Charmin. <laughs> like, they, there are things that LeBron James could say that, that move the needle. That move the needle. So you have to be aware. Like Tom Brady, Tiger Woods, that you would never see them make a comment like that. They're way too measured, and, and they understand the magnitude of their comments. Like LeBron needs to be a little bit more like that because what he says is like the guy who just called Bob. We don't need to give him the platform. He has it. And well, when he says something like that, it's the real. Reason, the reason why we're talking about it is because the initial response one would have to themselves is like, this happened to LeBron and this is the first we're hearing of it. What happened? That's my point. If How can you make a statement that, hey, they're racist AF and it not happened to you and still make that statement, right? So if you, let's say you had a conversation with Bill Russell for an hour, sat down for dinner. You know, maybe you said, hey, I had a conversation with someone who extensively lived through it, and this is what they they described to me. Now, if someone's saying F LeBron in a game or whatever, because, hey, you know what? Christian Leitner was probably getting the same chance as well when he was playing for the Timberwolves. So it, it doesn't matter. You're the opponent. You're going to hear those things. It's like when you mentioned that Marcus Rashford, this is where all this, the comments come from. Marcus Rashford, who plays for Manchester United, talked about the racism that is overt, Um when he's in his games, you know, monkey peels, I mean, uh, banana peels and monkey calls and monkeys hung in effigy. And this is people in blackface in the crowd and how FIFA is actively paying money to end racism. And, you know, we discussed that, you know, maybe LeBron kind of jumped on that train of the comment of something that really goes on for 
LeBron to then make this comment about Boston. You just got to be careful. Like again, I'm not going to tell a black person how to feel, obviously. But like the 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 caller whose friend they were arguing out in Amherst. Like yeah. if, if if somebody was like mean to her. Or maybe she was being a jerk and a white person was mean to her. Well, was that the white person being racist? Or was that the white person just reacting to you being a jerk? You I know? think we're just getting too too deep into an individual conversation. Yeah, no, I know. Because it's, it's him telling the story, right? It's not her telling I'm just you saying, know, her like, side of the story. Th- there are things, like LeBron, even if you've heard things about Boston, you're LeBron James. Unless you have direct experiences that you can relate to, I wouldn't make that comment because your platform is too big and your words mean too much. 617-779-7937. KJ and Don Darrow. Text line 37937. Second hour is next. Thank you for starting your Sunday morning with us here on WEI. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com.